0: that's page 844. Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. The word of the Lord.
1: Great to see you. Good to be together. Let's pray. We want to hear from God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, your promises. They are the foundation of our lives. But we need your help to understand them. Certainly need your help to believe them and live in light of them. Lord, we thank you that our faith as Christians, it's not just eyes closed, Hoping for the best, trusting in a myth. No, um, we have as an anchor for our soul the reality of Jesus Christ, who He is, what He's done. Uh, you came, you lived a perfect life, you died for us, you rose from the dead. We can trust You. We have Your Holy Spirit with us now. So please, Lord, teach us. Help me to teach this word faithfully. Help us handle hard ideas. And help us trust in you for your glory and our joy. Amen. So, we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark. Mark was an associate of the Apostle Peter. Peter was an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. So, this text is just 30 or 40 years after the life of Jesus, eyewitness historical account. And the book is really all about answering three questions Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? How should we respond to him? Of course, all those things are related and go together. And then we come to the text we're looking at this morning. And what do you do with that? I think it could be summed up in one word, difficulty. First, you see a father and a son facing horrific difficulty. Uh, Second, you see a group of Jesus' disciples completely overwhelmed by the difficulty. And it's, in some ways, things are even difficult for Jesus. And then here we are today, reading this passage this morning. It's difficult for us as well. Maybe we're thinking at first glance, I don't, even, I don't even know what to do with this. So let's actually begin this morning by considering what the text is not about, okay? Here's what it's not about. I don't think this text is like a how-to manual on how to do certain exorcisms, okay? Okay? This not, if you're taking notes, you're not to be like, okay, when I see a demon-possessed kid that keeps, throwing, keeps getting thrown into fire, I'll make sure to pray. Got it? All right, I guess we're finished. <laughs> no, that's not it. That's, that's not what we're supposed to do with this passage. Haven't we seen this in Mark as we've studied together? Jesus often uses real and true miracles as teaching tools. Many times in Mark, a miracle will be almost like a parable, displaying what you're supposed to learn somehow. And that's true here, and we remember Mark could have chosen to report from scads of miracles. Every time he mentions one, he's chosen it on purpose, he's mentioning it on purpose, and he's mentioning it where he's mentioning it on purpose. It all fits together in what he's teaching and the point he's making. There's a message to this miracle, and it has a lot to do with us. Here's another thing the text is not about. You heard in verse 23, Jesus said, all things are possible for one who believes. So if you listen to certain Bible teachers, maybe you grew up with this, or if you watch some of these people on TV, it's a popular thing to kind of airlift this one sentence out of the context of the book, and then basically just say, well, if you believed enough, you'd be healed from whatever your sickness is. Or if you believed enough your suffering would go away, whatever your suffering is. If you just would flex your faith enough, you'd get the promotion, your dreams would come true, easy life. And then on the flip side, then they'd say, they'd have to say, right, well, if you are suffering and those good things aren't happening to you, well, it's probably because you don't have any faith. What a terrible thing to say. What an unbiblical thing to say. What a wrong thing to say. It's not what this passage is about. Not only is that not what this passage is about, that's actually the opposite of what this passage is about. The complete opposite. The last couple of weeks have been dominated by what Jesus said. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. You remember, the son of man must suffer. And we'll back up a little bit. This is interesting to me. You realize, I think, I counted up once, I may have missed one. Second to last healing miracle in Mark, right here in chapter nine. That ought to be interesting uh, interesting to us because how many miracles do we see in chapters 1 to 8? A lot, right? Sometimes you'll get, he went to a village and healed everyone. Lots of miracles. All of a sudden, uh, chapter 9, where did the healing miracles go? What's going on? Well, you remember, chapters 1 to 8 are about who Jesus is. And so what do the miracles prove to you? I mean, if somebody walks up and says, hi, I'm the eternal son of God who's taken on human flesh to save my people and renew the world, you ought to be able to say, can you prove that? And what if he says, okay, I will. Let me do thousands of incredible healing miracles in front of crowds. That's part of what they do, right? The miracles... Prove the message. They're evidence for who Jesus is. Uh, from Mark's pers- perspective, in chapters 1 to 8, he's made the point. He's the Christ. And we saw Jesus' own disciples finally get it, right? You're the Christ. But then Mark transitions now from who Jesus is into really emphasizing what he came to do. And so guess what the rest of the book is going to be? He's heading to the cross, the Son of Man must suffer. And do you remember how did the disciples take that message? They don't want to believe it. They don't, they don't want to see it. They, they can't be. And as you read 8 and 9 and 10, Jesus says it over and over and over again. The Son of Man must suffer. I'm going to be delivered in the hands of men. They're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to suffer. That's why I came. I came to suffer. He also said this. Look at Mark 8, 34 to 35. If you want to look on our website, you can listen to what we said about this, but just as a brief reminder, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him, what, deny himself and take up his cross. So we can't spend much time here, but to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, you can no longer live under the authority of self. You don't live for you anymore. It's difficult in our cultural moment. They're, they're telling you all the time, true happiness, live for yourself. Jesus says, that won't make you happy. Deny yourself and follow me. And here's what it feels like sometimes. Let him deny himself and take up his, what? Cross. And we're so used to cross decorations and cross necklaces and cross earrings and Hey, plaster the cross everywhere. It's my favorite symbol. But let's not forget, what do crosses do? They kill. Wouldn't it be a little strange if you saw somebody wearing a electric chair necklace? What are you doing? Crosses kill. Now we know that following Jesus, right? We we die, we give ourselves up so that we can live. We know that. We rejoice in the empty cross. He went to the cross and he rose. But listen, here we see, what's the the expectation for a follower of Jesus Christ? He just set you the expectation. Did Jesus tell you, when you come to me in faith, everything in your life will be better and go easy? Is that what he said? Or did he say to you the complete opposite? Well, now we just think more of context here. And last week, we looked at this the ultimate mountaintop experiment, experience, right? Jesus takes his followers on the mountain, and he is transfigured. He shows them his glory. And if you were with us, you remember we said, this is what you need to see in order to endure through suffering. You've got to see his goodness. See the plan of the cross and the resurrection for you. You've got to Trust his authority in suffering. This is what you've got to see. But so Jesus shows his disciples, and it's this, I mean, it's the ultimate, right? Maybe that's where we get the phrase, mountaintop experience. But then, as you know, in your life, just in your little mountaintop experiences, what happens next? The valley. And what do we mean by the valley experience? This is no fun. (laughs) I don't like it things are happening that i do not prefer to happen it's hard i'm suffering and look look where look where they go from the mountain to the valley right here and they come down from this mountain where jesus showed them all this glory and they enter into serious evil chaos and suffering serious evil chaos and suffering so here's what we need to see this passage is not about how if you just have faith in Jesus, there won't be any suffering. Just to back up a little bit, does Jesus often comfort us in suffering? Does he often relieve us from suffering? Does he come through and save us in a thousand ways and heal us in suffering? Yes, of course, of course. But this is not ultimately about, oh, if you just have faith, there won't be any suffering. It's the opposite. This is about how faith is to transform how you face suffering. This passage is about, how you follow Jesus through and in suffering. That's what this passage is about. So this is so important for us, right? Because if you're interested in Christianity, or or maybe you put your faith in Jesus, and and then all of a sudden everything got harder, you could think, did I do something wrong? Or you could think, is Jesus not real or is he not listening to me or does he not love me right all of these doubts creep up we've got to have the wisdom of this reality to set our expectations straight so that we can follow Jesus faithfully even through suffering the huge epic suffering and the little detail annoying suffering all of it what do we need to see this is what it is how can we follow Jesus through suffering I want you to see three main things just summarized by these three words. Number one, we need focus. Number two, we need honesty. Number three, reliance. Focus, honesty, reliance. So let's start with focus. Look in your Bibles again, uh, page 844, if you want to follow along. Like we said, Mark 9, verses 14 to 18 they come down from the mountain and and truly they enter into just the chaos of evil and suffering right first you have just this heartbreaking story if you can imagine it this father is here just heartache for his son i can understand that i can imagine that heartache for my child and then you read the details of the story and it's pure evil Right, There is such a thing as pure spiritual evil. According to the text, there is an evil spirit that is literally out to kill this kid, throwing him into fire, throwing him into water, all these horrible symptoms. It's more than just a sickness. It's demonic. It's evil. It's chaos. But it's not just this story that's heartbreaking, full of evil and suffering. It's also the broader scenario because Mark really points out the disciples' experience in this. So we know the story. The father came up to the disciples. What did he ask for? Can you heal my kid? Now here's where we need to realize something's a little different between the apostles and you and me. Okay? Someone comes up to you with a diseased child and says, "Will you heal my heal my kid?" What are you going to say to him? Probably not. <laughs> Do you have that ability? No, of course not. Will you pray for them, care about them? Sure, but, but you can't do that. But isn't it different for Jesus' apostles here? Remember he gave them authority to do miracles and cast out demons? I mean, this part of the evidence that Jesus is the Christ is he's able to do this. And part of the evidence that these people are his apostles' unique authority to proclaim Jesus, they could do some of the same things he could do. And so here, the disciples actually fail in what they're supposed to be doing. And now the crowds are running in and seeing their failure. And then did you see the scribes come in? Who are those people? The religious professionals? They hate Jesus. They're against him. They're always arguing against them, condemning them. And so so now you just see someone comes to the disciples. They're overwhelmed by the setting. They can't. Figure it out. They can't do what they're supposed to do, and all the crowds are watching it. And now the enemy comes in, the scribes, and they start debating. And you can imagine them saying, Oh, Jesus must not really be a true teacher. He must not be the Christ. Because look, you as his disciples, you can't even, you're, you're failing. Do you, do you see the chaos? Do you see the failure? Right down into evil. Not only that, when the man talks to Jesus, right, he says, we're going to get to this, but he says, if you can. Look what, it seem, look what seemed to happen. The man brought his son to Jesus' disciples, hoping for healing. The disciples, for some reason, failed. What did that do to the man's faith in Jesus? Took it down a couple notches. Do you see what Mark is showing us? Jesus' disciples are being exposed by suffering. They're being exposed by suffering. That's one thing suffering does, doesn't it? It shows us what's really in there. Look at Jesus' response, verse 18. It's really important for the meaning of the passage the man says to Jesus, I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And then verse 19, you see what Jesus said. He answered them, "O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? What does he, what does he say? Oh, what? What did he call these people? Faithless. Faithless. The, the issue here in this passage is, Is a lack of faith exposed by the setting of suffering? Is it a lack of faith in the crowds? Yeah, for sure. Jesus has been there, said stuff, done stuff over and over again, they won't believe. Is it a lack of faith in the scribes? Of course. They refuse to believe despite all the evidence for who Jesus is. But most painful of all, who's he he talking about? It's his disciples. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? After all of this, you won't trust me? That's what he's saying. Trying to just imagine where Jesus is coming from. Imagine you love someone continually. I think parents can probably imagine this. Imagine you love someone continually, care for someone continually, are there for someone time and time again. You make a promise to that person, and then they act They just won't believe what you say, and they act like they can't trust you. I've been here for you constantly, and and you're you're doubting my motives towards you. You're doubting my goodness towards you. To, to To a much greater level, that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You still don't trust me? We remember something about faith, don't we? Jesus calls them a faithless generation. Faith isn't just believing in God, is it? I mean, it's important to believe in God. You can't believe God till you believe in God. So that's step one. We want you to believe in God. We want you to believe in Jesus, who he is. We want you to believe that that's reality. But faith is, is more than that, all right? You might believe, I don't know, it's something we all probably believe. You might believe Jesus, or George Washington was the first president of the United States, right? Most of you are like, yeah, okay. Uh, How many of you trust yourselves to George Washington? What? You, You can believe in something and not trust it. Faith doesn't just believe in God. It believes God. God speaks, he makes promises, and faith says, yes, I believe you. I believe you're strong enough and good enough to come through on what you've said. I believe you. That's faith, and and does faith trust Jesus only when times are good? Well, that's the question, I guess. This situation of difficulty exposed something into disciples. it exposed a lack of faith. and as I was pondering this passage, I mean this is just really, really convicting. Isn't it easy? Church, let's look at ourselves. Let's look at one another. Isn't it easy to think of suffering or difficulty as an excuse for a lack of trust in Jesus? Now, I don't think, I don't think any of you when suffering comes, or I won't say any, I don't think most of you when suffering comes say, I don't, I don't believe Jesus is the son of God anymore. I don't think you believe that. I don't think that's what you do. But how does a how does lack of faith show itself? A lack of obedience? Does suffering give you an excuse for a lack of obedience? Does it give you an excuse for a lack of faithful ministry? Does it give you an excuse for a lack of holy character? So I want to be really careful, right? Um, Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, when, When suffering comes... We're invited to grieve, yeah, biblically, grieve. You can do that with faith. We are invited to lament, pour out our hearts, pour out our complaints to the Lord, our requests, share all our angst, our grief. You're invited. You can do all of that in faith. You're welcome to rest sometimes. You need rest in suffering. I'm not against any of that. I, I believe in all of that. But how often do hard times become an excuse for us to be less than faithful to what Jesus has called us to? Think about it. Difficult people in your life. A difficult situation in your life. Anxiety. Stress. What comes out of us sometimes? It exposes our lack of faith. Instead of focusing on Jesus, we forget him. Even while doing things for him, we get irritable. We grumble against God and his people. Let's just pause right here and repent on the inside. God, forgive me for just belching out nastiness and being unfaithful to you in so many ways because life got harder. Let's remember what we are called to. And there's a lot of texts we could look at. I'm just gonna pick this one. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. It'll be very familiar to you. If you trust Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and God is working in your life to make you more like Jesus. And this should be the fruit. If you're a Christian tree, This is the fruit growing off your Christian branches, okay? The fruit of the Spirit, if you have faith in Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then thankfully, the next verse says, when times are easy... except the next verse doesn't say when times are easy. It just says this is what the fruit of the Spirit is. When times are easy, yeah. When times are hard, yeah. And the lack of it is a lack of faith. Please don't hear me saying that when times get hard and you get irritable and you're not gentle, that you're not a Christian. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm exposing myself here, but that's the whole point. Hey, Christian, look, look, these spots in your life where you had an excuse, you thought, to be less than faithful, it's not a time to have an excuse to be less than faithful. It's exposing the lack of faith that's already there. Maybe you don't trust Jesus quite as much as you say or let on. And so, really, it's an invitation then, right? That's what this text is doing. Look how, look how honest these disciples are. Look at how honest these disciples are. They put it in the book that all the world will read forever and ever about Jesus. Look at how we absolutely fell apart in suffering. You know what that gives us permission to do? Me too. I, I did that too. And so I think the first point here is focus. You know, this is this is some for some of these disciples, it's it's one of their first chances, right, to do ministry where Jesus isn't with them. He seems far away, and all of a sudden their focus is on themselves. It's on the crowds, it's on the Pharisees, it's on the evil, it's the chaos and suffering. They forgot him. He's, it's not that they quit believing him. He, he was smaller than all the circumstances. And so what needs to change in that scenario? I mean, it, this is really part two to what we looked at last week. You've got to see Jesus. Who, who, what has to be the biggest thing to you? The difficult people, the difficult setting, the difficult issue, they're all real, it's all true. But what has to be biggest to you? Jesus has to be biggest to you. Who he is, his call, his plan, his truth, his authority. His authority, that has to be biggest to us for us to follow him faithfully in suffering. And we need to focus on him. Now, honesty, honesty. Back to our story, Jesus says, Bring the boy to me. Verse 20, they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately to convulse the boy, he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the, at the mouth, just awful. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood, it is often cast him into the fire and water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I love seeing Jesus step in here, don't you? He steps in for his disciples they're failing, they're losing this debate. Jesus steps in earlier and takes over. What are you guys talking about? He, he steps in for them when the scribes are coming after them. And here they're failing here. He steps in for them. Bring the boy to me. He steps in for us when we're unable. And he draws this father out. First thing to see, the father is facing suffering he cannot handle in his own strength, right? Right? You can't handle this. Have you ever heard this one? God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't know what verse that is, but I've never read it in the Bible. That's just, that's dumb. I can guarantee you, God is gonna give you a lot of stuff you cannot handle. (laughs) Promise. He's never gonna give you more than He can't handle. It's very different. And if you see that, it's going to handle how you face suffering. The question is, will you trust him? Jesus draws his father out. He's so compassionate, and it opens the father's heart, because this is what we needed to hear. Did you hear what the father said If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Thank you for saying that. What does it express? Does the father have some faith in Jesus? I mean, yeah, he came. I'm not really sure you can handle this. Some things are too much, right? Isn't that what's in his heart? And... I'm hoping you have compassion on us. He's questioning ability and motivation in Jesus. Do we need to question Jesus' motivation and his compassion? He came, he died for us. Do we need to question his ability? This man is honest about his faith, and just to make it more painful, the re- one reason it seems like his faith is wavering is because deci- Jesus' disciples were so pathetic in suffering. You guys, can we just let that motivate us a little bit? The world is watching. Other Christians are watching how we handle suffering. And when we display a lack of Christian character and a lack of faith, it makes Jesus look bad to the world and to one another. Can we draw up in ourselves a motivation to glorify God in our suffering? To want to glorify God. To want to spotlight how he's enough. Again, I don't wanna overstate the, th- I don't wanna overstate the case. Can you vent to a trusted friend Can you pray? Can you cry? Can you grieve? Can you mourn? Can you lament? Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. But when people don't look like Christians because life got hard, doesn't it make it seem like, eh, Jesus only works on the sunshine and rosy days? It's awful. We want to glorify God here. And so here's our question. I mean, the, the Father brings just deeply troubled and afflicted boy and says, if you can, for our setting, what I think Mark is saying to his audience, here's our question. Jesus says, I want you to glorify me in the middle of your suffering, through your suffering. And we say, if you can. Can Jesus really make you full of faith and character and obedience in suffering? Can he really do that in you? And look at Jesus' response when the, when the man says, if you can, don't you love it? Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can. Have you seen my resume? Right? <laughs> you wanna talk about what I can do? And if we've been reading Mark, I don't know, what do you think? Is Jesus good for this? Calming seas, casting out demons, raising dead people, paralytics, blind lepers. I think he can do it. But Jesus says, if you can. And then he says, all things are possible for one, to be, for, for one who believes. Do you see how Jesus flips the question We're saying, I don't know. I don't know if you're trustworthy, Jesus. Can you do this? And Jesus is saying, the, the question is not if I can do anything. The question is if you're going to trust me. And so that's what we all need. We need to hear Jesus asking us right now. Are you going to trust me in the middle of suffering to the point where you can follow me faithfully through it? And then praise God is one of the best quotations in the Bible. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, what did he say? I believe, help my unbelief. Go ahead and memorize this. Memorize this verse, Mark 9, 24, and pray it every day. I believe, help my unbelief. This is what I mean by honesty, honesty. True faith is honest about its own weakness, It's not saying you don't have any faith. I'm just saying it's weak faith sometimes. Listen to this prayer. Jesus, I need you to help me trust you. What a prayer. It shows me I'm not strong enough in myself to rev up my own faith. That's how weak I am in suffering. I have to be honest. Lord, help me believe I'm so dependent on Jesus. I need Jesus to help me see how much I need Jesus. To endure faithfully, you have to be honest about your need. Yeah, so many psalms were floating in my mind on these things. I love this little piece in Psalm 40. The author is suffering, but look at, look at what he prays in Psalm 40. Psalm 40:16. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 17. He says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. What does he say about himself in prayer? I am poor and needy. That's just being honest. It's just being honest. And you know, just just to buckle up, sometimes it it looks like it gets worse before it gets better. So you see, Jesus hears this man's prayer, right? He says to him, uh, I command you, come out of him, never enter him in, into him again. And, and I imagine the dad's really excited right there. And then verse 26 happens, and he convulses, and the kid falls, and he looks like he's a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. Why does Mark include this? You wouldn't have to include this detail, but he does. So there's already this risk almost. It felt like a risk of faith for this man to trust Jesus. So, okay, fine, I'll trust you. And Jesus steps in, and then we went from, well, this was bad, but now it looks like he's dead. You killed him. How did that father feel in that moment? Gosh, I trusted you, and you made it worse. Friends, you put your faith in Jesus, what is it going to feel like sometimes? I trusted you and you made it worse. I feel like that sometimes. But look what happens. Jesus steps in. Verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Isn't that just an echo of what will happen to Jesus himself in the cross and resurrection? And here, Mark's making this point. Jesus enters into our suffering. He brings resurrection into our suffering as we suffer with faith. And we remember Mark's audience. Who's he writing to? Christians in Rome persecuted under the reign of Nero. They need this. They need this. And don't you love, even the smallest faith connects you to the goodness of Jesus. The smallest faith connects you to the goodness of Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus doesn't say, well, get out of here until you have some decent faith. He's not like that, is he? If you can, Jesus doesn't say, well, leave until you fix yourself up, then come back to me. Isn't that what we think? I'll fix myself up, and then I'll come to Jesus. Don't do that. I believe, help my unbelief. that That's enough. It connects you to the goodness of Jesus. There's plenty for him to work with. I heard uh, Kevin DeYoung give this illustration on how even weak faith connects you to the goodness of Jesus. It was, it was the idea of ice skating, okay, so... I know we live in Southern California. Do you have this idea in your mind? In some places, lakes freeze, okay? And there are people who put skates on their feet and skate on the ice. So you can imagine, right, two skaters. One is not sure the ice will hold. The other is quite sure the ice will hold. And what does it look like when the one who's weak of faith steps out on the ice? Right? Little baby step, testing it with the toe, moving kinda slow. What's it look like when the one who's strong of faith steps on the ice? Cutting around, going fast, doing whatever he can do. Does the issue on whether or not the ice holds them have anything to do with their faith in the ice? How they skate has everything to do with their faith in the ice. But the issue on whether or not we will hold them has nothing to do with their faith. It has everything to do with how thick the ice is. Jesus is thick ice. He's thick ice. He calls you to come skate. And even just a little bit of faith, he'll hold you up. Focus on Jesus. Be honest about the weakness of your faith and come to him. Third point, reliance. You see, Jesus, you know, Mark's going to show us how this whole story is supposed to be applied. Look at verses 28 to 29. When he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? We were overwhelmed. What happened? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You misread that and you think, okay, if I see a demon possessed person, I'll pray, otherwise I don't need to. Oh, come on. That's not what the passage is about. But get this. They didn't pray? Can you imagine? They didn't pray. What's that, what's that a mirror of? What's the problem? When you think, "Oh, I can I can, I guess that's it. I can cast out the demon." I've done this before, I don't need to pray. What attitude is that? Self-reliance, I can do it, I can do it, I got this. Suffering comes and what does it show you? I don't, I don't got this, I don't, have, I don't got this. You gotta pray and one of the greatest signs of a lack of faith is a lack of prayer. Because a lack of prayer either reveals overconfidence in yourself or an underconfidence in God. And prayer is faith and action towards God. I need you, your friendship, your perspective, your power, your truth. I need you, and I believe you. You're good for it. So Jesus is saying, you've got to rely on him. That's what prayer expresses here. You have to rely on him especially as shown in prayer. Because friends, faithfulness to Jesus through suffering is supernatural. Which is why so many of you are so beautiful to me. Because I've seen you suffer with deep faith in Jesus Christ. And there's only one way you could do that that's because God has worked in your life and he is with you. Makes no sense any other way. It's supernatural. Anyone can look good, moral, nice leader, whatever, when times are good. But Jesus, doesn't he especially shine when his people trust him in the midst of difficulty? When you obey, even though it hurts, it glorifies God. When you wait on his timing, it glorifies him. When you show his character in the face of difficulty, a controversy, Jesus looks good. We've got to rely on him, especially in prayer. And we'll just finish here with verses 30 to 32. We'll look at them again next week, but I just want you to see, and this, this is an invitation to faith through and in suffering, Right? So, a final question we have to ask is Is Jesus good for this? Is he really good for this? Is he really going to satisfy you in the end? Is he really going to bring resurrection in the death? Is he good for this? Look at what happens next. Verses 30 to 32. We've seen it again. He was teaching his disciples, saying, The Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men, and they will kill him. When he's killed, after three days, he will rise. He's going to a cross. In a way, we follow that path. The disciples didn't understand it here. They did not look good in suffering, did they? How are they going to look after Jesus rises from the dead? They look amazing. Jesus' apostles are faithful in suffering after his resurrection, because they see in a new light, number one, his love. He died for us. He loves us. And number two, his power. He rose from the dead. Gives them this indestructible hope in suffering, both on the macro or the micro level. When I die in little ways for Jesus, trusting him in suffering, obeying, loving my neighbor. When I do that, he's gonna bring resurrection right here. He's good for it. I can trust him. And not only that, even if I don't see it in the small way, when he comes back, I will rise from the dead. Suffering will end. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To see that, to trust the one who lived and died for us who went to the cross to pay the debt we owe, earned our forgiveness. Through faith in him, we can be adopted as children of God. Makes us inheritors. Rose from the dead in victory. Gives us the Holy Spirit. When he returns, suffering will end. When you grab that, when you rely on him, his cross and his resurrection and his love, you can follow him faithfully through suffering. So that's the kind of church we want to be, isn't it? We wanna follow him faithfully through suffering. Number one, focus on him. Number two, be honest about your weakness and come to him. Number three, rely on him and his love, especially in prayer. We can glorify him in following the path he sets before us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's a hard message, but it's so important we need it. I pray that we would see you, your great love, your compassion, your power, how you gave yourself up for us and how through faith in you, we can belong to you, be forgiven of all our sins, made right with God, adopted as children, and now here to be salt, here to be light, full of your Holy Spirit. Help us continually to be faithful, even in times of difficulty, especially in times of difficulty. We thank you for how you've died for all the ways we haven't, and how you forgive us, and how you will grow us in that regard. Let us grow there together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.